The Veritas Radio Network and the Crusade Channel present Kurt Wallace's The Flow. Real interviews with real people revealing real truths. Heard exclusively on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade Channel and available online at veritasradionetwork.com. Radio, the way it should be. Presented by Veritas Radio Network, I'm Kurt Wallace, and this is The Flow. Our guest today is Adam Kokesh, TV radio talk show host, social, political, and anti-war activist, author of the wildly popular book Freedom, and a U.S. Marine. Sits down with me to discuss his life growing up in California and how his parents' divorce shaped his anti-authoritarian views. He shares specific insights given to him by a close relationship with his father and mother, respectively. He talks about what it was like being the only white kid to attend an American Indian prep school. As a U.S. Marine, he describes torturing people in Iraq, a past he's had to face. Kokesh explains why he's recently stopped using marijuana, taking a different approach in dealing with his post-traumatic stress disorder. He then tells us about his spirituality and why he's no longer an atheist. He goes into great detail about evolving in his work as an activist and a person, providing insight into his own fears after being arrested over three dozen times for acts of civil disobedience. This is an interview you won't hear anywhere else. And Adam, thanks for spending time with us today on The Flow. My pleasure. Now, we uh, we know a lot about you. If anybody has been paying attention to the Liberty Movement, they know who Adam Kokesh is. And kind of the, the, the purpose of these interviews with myself on The Flow is to kind of explore what's underneath and the things that we've experienced in our worlds. And you grew up in, where did you grow up? I know you were born in San Francisco, but where did you end up? Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, I have to challenge the premise of your question, just being such a raging contrarian here in the first place anyway. Okay. But really, what makes you think I grew up? Okay. Where, where you were born, and then where did you live the first, uh, say, 10 years of your life? Yeah, I, I, I sort of grew up in the Bay Area, <laughs> in nice suburbs of San Francisco, in between San Francisco and San Jose, San Mateo, Burlingame, uh, Burlingame Hills, Atherton for a while. I mean, pretty nice neighborhoods mostly. And my parents got divorced when I was 10, so I, I bounced around a lot. And then my dad moved to New Mexico, and I did my last two years at, uh, of high school at Native American Prep and was the only white kid to have ever attended the school. It actually uh, disbanded, I guess you could say, two years after I graduated with the smoke-free class of 2000. And I was uh, part of a graduating class of 15 students. Oh, uh, wow, that's interesting. Well, how did you end up going to a Native American school, being the only white kid there? My dad knew the headmaster, and there was only one student there who was paying full tuition. So then I went there, and then there were two students paying full tuition. And I had just gotten kicked out of a really good boarding school in Colorado for possession of alcohol and needed uh, – my dad wanted to, you know, salvage my academic career. And at that point, it, it really was uh, quite a brilliant move. 
So when you were in boarding school, were you like a, a troublemaker? You were contrarian, that type? Is that kind of how you... Yeah, I, was, I wasn't the worst, but yeah, I was, I was always, um, you know, just outside the rules. I had a, a locked suitcase when I was at boarding school in Colorado full of my contraband, and it was just wine and tobacco products, I think. Um, maybe I had weed, like, at one point or another. But, I, I mean, I wasn't bad. I was always just, like, part of me had to, like, I had, I, you know, oh, man, maybe this is such a weird, like, self-reflective epiphany happening right now. But mm-hmm. it was like I always had to have something that I was doing that was contrary to authority. Like, I always had to have something that asserted my freedom. Like, if I, you know, and, and to, even when I was in jail, like, I, there was always something I had to do to be like, no, I'm not obedient. I'm not, I, I don't belong to you. And it, it go, I guess it goes goes way back to then, at least. And uh, I got caught one night with, uh can't even remember how it happened, but... They searched my room, and I had two bottles of wine, and so I got kicked out. Maybe, uh, maybe somebody had a vendetta. <laughs> one, of your, one of your friends turned you in, or enemies. No, no, I would have remembered that. That's funny. I haven't, I've never told this story, like not for years. I mean, I, I, only have, so I, I haven't told the story at least since college to, to anyone. And, I, like, and it's not like it's some huge thing. It's never come up. It's something I got kicked out for alcohol, but... I, really, I remember my room being searched. I really don't remember what precipitated it. I think I got in trouble for something else, and, like, we were running around at night after curfew, and, like, it's funny because I was a virgin until I was 19, but I stuck into the girls' dorm with a bunch of buddies in uh, high school, and we snorted um, no-dos. We snorted caffeine, ground-up caffeine pills. Like, it was it was silly, harmless stuff like that. Um, and... It, it was something to do with like getting caught coming back into the dorm or something like that, and, and then they searched our rooms, and I got caught. So this whole idea of of going to uh, boarding school, and this is kind of an elite boarding school that you went to, I guess it was Stevenson School. Is that the name of it? Yeah, my first well, the first high school I went to was in California. It was Robert Louis Stevenson in Pell Beach, and that's a uh, it's a real prep school. You know, mm-hmm. most of the kids who graduate there go to Ivy's, and then I chose to leave because I didn't like the, the the student group scene. Like, I really just, they were snobs. It was really stratified, and I didn't like it. So mm-hmm. uh, at least that was my view at the time. And I went to Fountain Valley School of Colorado in Colorado Springs where they had a horse riding program. And that was really cool. I you know, helped uh, dehorn and castrate some calves and uh, got to spend some time on playing polo cross, working with draft horses. And uh, so I was there for one year, and then that was my sophomore year. And then uh, I think it was just less than a month into my junior year was when I got kicked out. You'll see that I really liked it there. And so going to boarding school, you're not with your family. Is it a sense of that this is the way it works? Or I, I've always wondered that if parents put kids in boarding school because they don't know what to do with them, or there's yeah. they don't they don't you know they don't want to have them like that that's what i i might have had that attitude if sometimes that's that. the case and and i should say i did get in trouble for something a little more intense in middle school and i got uh, arrested i might have like a juvenile record i don't even know mm-hmm. but i i set off a fireball bomb in the boys bathroom but it was more of a prank <laughs> uh, like burn toilet Nowadays paper, you'd be you know? you'd get arrested tased beaten up 
and then uh, they'd call your parents. Yeah, no, it was the police. I, like they took me in and, and booked me, and I had to go and like sit with them for some of the counseling session. It was, just, I mean, it was stupid, but. No, the reason I went to boarding school, uh, and, and it was, like, my dad went to a Culver Military Academy, uh, ended up protesting, not protesting, but uh, dodging the draft out of conscience for the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you didn't have that military uh, boarding school academy background, at least. And so it wasn't new. My mom went to high school, I'm pretty sure, in her hometown in Bay Dauphine, Montreal, or somewhere in the area. Mm-hmm. Oh, gee. If I got that wrong, she's going to kill me. Uh, no, she's great. Uh, but then I, she did go to college in Wellesley, and she met my dad at Harvard. So for me, when when I had the choice, it was actually offered to me, was, you want to go to boarding school? And I was like, yes, I want to get away from going one week with one parent and one week with another. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's how it is with my son, where you have joint custody. So... Going through, you said your your parents got divorced when you were ten. Um, mm-hmm. What was was that a significant moment in your life? Was it was it? Um, I mean, obviously not not wanting to go one week and one week every, you know, between houses uh, must have affected you. But what what has that meant to you? Having having your parents divorce at that age. I mean, I wish I wish I had a ready answer to that question and can say like this is how it affected me. And but it, it's, I, I guess it's kind of a lot that I've outgrown and blocked out and just have never really cared to revisit. And at this point, I, I don't mean I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. To as a, as a matter of you know introspective intellectual curiosity. So, I suppose it. I, I wasn't. I didn't have that rebellious streak at all before then. I mean, maybe like in an inherent way, but not the same, just deliberate way. When I was a younger kid, I mean, I, I was. I played soccer and baseball in school, and was always just uh, you know, it was a fun, nerdy, like in the nature and plants kid. And then I got this uh, rebellious streak, you know, when my parents got divorced, because I think it just. You know, your your vision of authority is very much based on your experience with your parents and and, and no different for me. And, and I always tell people that, like, 10 is, is about the worst age. I mean, the range of, like, and I, I don't know the exact statistics. There are probably statistics that could make this point better for me. But that if you're, like, somewhere between 6 and 12 years of age, that's the worst time to go through your parents getting divorced. I was 10. My brother was 8. Mm-hmm. And... The like if you're younger than six and your parents get divorced and they become happy co-parents, it's like that's all you remember. It doesn't really challenge you. Or if you're older than 12, you have enough of a sense of who you are as an adult. You can understand it. But when you're 10 and 8, it's like a traumatic experience. You know, maybe maybe traumatic is the wrong word, but uh, it, it, it's certainly, you know, a major experience. And, uh, I mean, that was... That was a big part of my, you know, what made me who I am. But my parents were also, uh, you know, both very smart and both somewhat anti-authoritarian themselves, you know. And, and, you know, my dad liked to tell stories about how he sort of beat the school system growing up because he outsmarted them. And, um, you know, my mom was a big oldie fan, so I grew up with the, the, the lyrical spirit of the 60s rebellion music in my ears. And I, and I, th- I think all that contributed to it. Hmm. 
So um, the the relationships with your your mom and your dad, obviously they're going to be different because they're different people. But um, mm-hmm. in terms of Very. yeah, and in, in, in terms of that, what was that? I mean, what kind of impact that they have on you? That's kind of shaped your worldview then, and as individual people, because you mentioned that they were both kind of anti-authority on some level, but yeah. And you cited a couple of examples, but just in terms of the relationship, do you remember like moments or conversations that you've had with your mom and your dad uh, separately? Oh, of course, but but I think it would be more helpful to discuss the you know the positive things of of what I got from them. And uh-huh. my dad is a brilliant man. I mean, just uh, you know, the horsepower that he has is you know incredible sometimes you know he he would give me lectures in the car growing up and teach me how to do math in my head and understand the stock market and stuff like that and this really? is my wow. middle school education was you know when i was going to school the few days with him that that he would explain those kinds of things to me he also gave me a great sense of drive and purpose and getting things done, a sort of logisticians kind of approach to things like that there's a procedure and there's a way of calculating what are the resources that need to come together to make something happen. And I've really valued that I, I got that experience from him. Um, my mother is, you know, and that sounds like a, almost a cheesy cliche, but uh, such a self-aware, compassionate person. And I think I got a lot of, uh, I, I don't want to say my selflessness, uh, because I, I, intellectually now, like, I really don't believe there is such a thing as selflessness. You know, I'm, I'm with Ayn Rand on this one point, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of points, but this one in particular, that there's really no such thing as altruism. And my activism is, is greedy. You know, even though I'm doing it for other people, mm-hmm. it's not because of their preferences necessarily. And yes, with the message of freedom, of course, it's all about empowering people's preferences without any coercion being used against them. But it's because I want to see people do well. I want to see people be happy. That's what I want. It's serving my vision. And I think I got a lot of that from my mother and, and, uh, and, and her wisdom. That's a, you know, it's interesting. You bring up, uh, this sort of philosophy about selflessness and, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of have this as a, as a contention as well. And you're you're a psychology major, so you've spent uh, a lot of time understanding human behavior just from an mm-hmm. academic standpoint, and mm-hmm. then going on and and all of the experiences that you've had uh, post college, which are are tremendous real world education. In this particular uh, mindset, helping someone is actually a selfish motive, and yes. At any time that someone challenges the philosophy of liberty or libertarianism or anarchism, there is this idea that they're very selfish or that we or people like with this type of philosophy are are very selfish. And it's actually in my best interest to lift up people around me, because if I if I'm not lifting the people up around me, somebody who's on the street, who's struggling, then they're going to become a bad actor. So it's actually mm-hmm. in my benefit to always try to lift others up so that my world is better in, in my own Absolutely. community. Yeah, it's it's a better way to be more generous. It's not like selfishness is good and selflessness is bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's 
just that there are different ways of approaching human relationships, you know, and when you're doing everything for yourself, it's actually a better way to connect with other people because we all inherently want to see other people do well and be happy, but it's just important to recognize the psychological reality of this is that it's we want or I want other people to be happy. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they want to be miserable. You know, like, obviously <laughs> there are some people like, man, leave me alone, I want to be miserable, in which case I say, well, I don't really care what you want, I'd rather you be happy. You know, and that's, that's my, you know, my preference being imposed in a sense. Obviously it's all no imposition, it's all voluntary what we're talking about. Sure. And that's the best way to achieve that, that harmony, and that really, that it's, <clears throat> you know, if you're trying to be, selfless, you're actually going to be less capable of being generous and giving and empathetic. And that's, that's so much more important. Um, in the transition, and I, and I appreciate you sharing these uh, experiences with your parents, and it, um, as you were talking, I, I was just contemplating who you are and, and how uh, you sort of manifested very similar qualities to your dad and to your mom, respectively. Um, when you were, when you went from a, uh, uh, the, the prep school in Colorado to this Native American school, from a cultural standpoint and being the only white kid there, what was that like? I mean, it, it, did that do anything to you? Uh, did that change your perspective in, on the world at all? Just that part of it, I, not the schools, but the... Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was extremely valuable and it was a very humbling experience that just, you know, most white people in America or most most people who are in the ethnic majority in their society don't get to experience to be an absolute minority. And when I went there and, and toured, you know, I went on a, a visit before we signed up, um, I asked a couple of the students there. I went and visited one of the dorms and was sitting around with some of these guys and I just said, well, what do you think of a white student coming here? Uh-huh. And with 63 students, they actually already had 32 different tribes represented and a lot of them were half white anyway. Uh, so okay. they said, well, just that much more diversity. And so I got to be the token white student and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, there were, I mean, I, I I came in as a junior, and I was a pretty—I wasn't a big dude. I mean, there were a couple guys there who were like who could have could have crushed me in a fight if they wanted to, but I was big enough nobody was just going to pick on me. Uh-huh. And it was a small enough school that that like there was really almost no bullying uh, that I recall. It was really a, a great community that way. So I was accepted, and I was you know I was a, I was a nice guy. I was generous as I could be. And uh, I felt completely accepted. And at the same time, uh, I did get this this really powerful experience of just understanding a little bit. I mean, just a taste in a a very unique and very low-stakes kind of context what it was like to be, you know, the only white student in an entire school. And, you know, there were white teachers and, and, and administrators, although most of them were Native American as well. So I mean, it was just it was it was an amazing experience. I met um, amazing people and uh, had had amazing relationships, and, and uh, I have people I'm friends with to this day from then. Were the kids curious about your life and the way you grew up, and did you see things about 
Native American culture that you would never have, have ever considered in terms of the- I wouldn't I wouldn't say they they were uh, particularly curious about me just as another just as another you know fellow just as a friend uh-huh. you know they didn't make any special deal out of it I mean they were really chill out about it I I think I got a unique experience of Native American culture although distorted by the boarding school experience getting to be in touch with so many different tribal backgrounds and experiences there. And, you know, what, what uh, you know, the, I guess the big takeaway for me is that, you know, this is an oppressed population that, that suffers greatly from the crimes of the past mm-hmm. and, and still lives in, in many ways in a, in a, a just lower level of poverty than, than every comparable demographic in, in the rest of the country. So, Getting getting the sense of that and the challenge and, and, and the unique pride of the Native American community, I, I mean, I don't I don't even like to collectivize it like that because, you know, every tribe's experience is totally different. Every individual's experience is totally different. You know, there are people who grow up living in trailers and huts on reservations and you know are full-blooded natives, and there are people who grow up in you know, high-rise condos to uh, parents that are you know still full blood native but have, have completely uh adopted a mainstream American lifestyle. So there's that old range of experiences there as well. So I, I would be very hesitant in any way to like say I've I've collect you know, made it been able to make any collective judgments about Native American culture, but I, I did get some very valuable windows into it and, and appreciation of uh experiences that were totally different from mine. One of the things that uh that seems to be universal with Native American culture, and obviously this, this is not a good example because uh, people are com- coming from different walks of life uh, within that particular school. But it is the the respect for nature, and there's a uh, in terms of spirituality, there's a there's a whole another level there. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to to see some of those benefits. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, I definitely got my share of exposure to, to ceremonial experiences as well. Oh, really? Okay. Well, listen, we're going to have to take a short break. We have our special guest, Adam Kokash. You're listening to The Flow with Kurt Wallace. We will be back on the flip side. 